made myself smile. <laughs> astute, astute watchers and listeners will uh, notice that Logan isn't here today. He's uh, he's out, and uh, and we'll see him uh, back next week, hopefully. Um, so uh, it's just me and Kristen this week. I'm going to be filling in as Logan and myself. Uh, so hopefully I don't screw this up too bad. Uh, and of course, we'll bring uh, Guy Bentley on here shortly. But before we get to that, let's do the, the customary. Hey, how are you, Kristen? Oh, I am doing well. I'm a little freaked out trying to do the stuff that Logan does behind the scenes. So if the start seemed a little weird to this today, that's my fault. One of these days, one of these days, I'll be able to do it. We, we just depend on each other too much. And I suppose that's a good thing. But uh, no, other than that, everything is uh, is good. We've got nice hot weather, no more uh, snow on the ground. And, um, and just in general, everything's pretty, pretty good. Fantastic. Glad How about you? It. Good. How uh, you? Likewise, with the warm weather, it's finally, it's like 80 some degrees here today. And uh, I, I, I haven't, I refuse to put the air conditioner in the windows. I, I it's going to get cool again. And we got another 80 degree ne day next week. So um, maybe next weekend, but it, it's, it's a little hot. So um, it's, I have a fan going. Yeah, I got, we got fans. That's, yeah. that's how We're up works. in the Northwoods. So uh, it doesn't get too hot. We get some hot days, but in general at night it gets nice and cool. And that's, why do we always end talking about weather? Are our, li our lives that boring? <laughs> it's, it's a it's a good strat. No, that's like how you break the ice. It's how when you True. meet people, you talk about something you can agree on. You know, it's like <laughs> it is it is what it is outside, and then you're both on the same level, and then you can talk that about what you disagree on. That, so yeah, I'm not sure how much we're going to disagree on today, though. Yeah, I so. think we're both on the same page with the whole menthol thing. Yep. So um, I guess we'll get to it. Before that, I guess I got to do the shout outs. And so in order of appearance here, hey, Jeremy Mills, John Haymaker, Daniel, the wee baby Seamus, uh, Bradley live streams. And we got some other stragglers here, though, by Adrian Mason, Victor Alltech and Skip Murray. I'm sure there's some other people that have come in. Apathy Miller, Addie Tooney, all of you guys, Steve Todnam, thank you for joining you us again. Awesome. Uh, here on a lovely Saturday afternoon or evening, wherever you, wherever you are. I saw Berlin <laughs> chiming in here. Um, thanks for watching all the way from Berlin. Uh, Apparently um, now I have to do Greenwich time because I got I got yelled at, not yelled at, but you know what I mean. Somebody's like, hey, Kasa, how about Greenwich time? So those of us who have no idea where what time it is in the U.S., I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess we do kind of have an international audience from New Zealand and Australia and England and Hold on. Uh, I'm going to do this because I, I have to do. Um, so I, you know, working closely with uh, a bit. working with Inco and uh, um, uh, CAFRA and others, you know, there's international stuff that we do. So uh, if you're ever in question as to what time anything is anywhere in the world, check out timebuddy.com. This isn't a paid promotion. It's just a tool <laughs> that I use. Um, but, uh, you know, type in your stuff and, uh, and you can, you can get this pretty, pretty straightforward here. Uh, yeah, so. I, I have the same thing. Cause I do deal with, with national or international stuff as well. And I have to look, what the heck time is it? I mean, guy, I'll tell you, I asked him, what, where are you? What time is it where you are? So I know enough time to tell you when you, you know, you need to be here. So, yeah. Yeah. So we're, we're easy. We're, we're, we're East coast here. Um, so 
sorry for leaving out the rest of the world, but CASA is a sort of U.S. Yeah, focused organization. We are, kind of, we are organization. a little bit aren't we? I mean, the people in California are lucky I put the time on for that. I'm I'm in flyover country, so, you know, the rest of you, you figure it out. <laughs> but yeah. speaking of speaking of Guy, should I do the thing? Yeah, and I'll, I'll let people know um, the legislative update that I'll do at the end here is going to be very brief. Uh, this week we have Hawaii, Alaska, and, of course, commenting on the menthol rule. And we'll get to that at the end after we stick around let, go, for that. Let, let Guy go and get about his his weekend. So yep. um, without further ado, we should do the thing. Do the thing. Hey, there he is. Hey, everyone. How are you? Good. Look, how are you we doing? have a special guest bumper working. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, that's a whole long story guy. We'll fill you in someday. <laughs> we don't really care, but yeah. Anybody who watches regularly will know what the special guest bumper drama has been. <laughs> Anyhow. So, yeah, uh, Guy Bentley, thanks for joining us. Uh, Guy Bentley from the Reason Foundation, uh, and I'm sure other accreditations here. Uh, for, for folks, I, I know that we've got a lot of uh, regular listeners who know who you are and know about your work. But for folks who don't, who are you and what's so special about you? <laughs> well, well, already starting off with the tough questions there. Um, uh, well, first, thanks so much for having me on, guys. Uh, I'm a huge fan of Kassar and have been for many years, and it's been great um, over the years working with Alex on harm reduction issues, um, uh, running into each other in different states all over the country, both in person and virtually, um, trying to preserve um, harm reduction products for adults. But um, a little bit about myself. Um, uh, so I'm originally from the United Kingdom. I moved here in about 2015 um, for work. I was uh, uh, in a former life, uh, a journalist. Um, I was working in a newspaper in London and uh, came to work for an outlet in the US and then moved into uh, think tank land. Um, and right now I work um, at the Reason Foundation, which is a uh, free market think tank uh, that was founded in the 1970s. Um, that really was born out of uh, a magazine called Reason Magazine, um, which is a libertarian magazine that also produces uh, Reason TV and lots of podcasts and all that good stuff as well. Um, and that's been going around, I, th I believe, our um, anniversary is, oh, God, I think it was 19, mid, late 1960s, early 1970s, uh, the first issue of Reason Magazine. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and I lead uh, our Consumer Freedom Project at Reason Foundation, which um, deals with um, a whole range of consumer-facing issues that are of particular interest to state, local, and federal governments in terms of taxation and regulation, whether that's, you know, obviously um, tobacco and nicotine products, uh, all different types of food, gambling, um, uh, indeed alcohol, and, some other, and also some other areas that we're going to be getting into um, this year as well. And our sort of overarching view is that as long as consumers uh, have sufficient access to um, information about the products they want to consume and aren't imposing costs on others, then consumers themselves are really the best judge of um, how, when, why, where, and for what price they should be um, using uh, these products and they should be interfered with as uh, little as possible. Um, and that generates a freer society and better outcomes for individuals and consumers. Maybe just to, I just had this thought. This wasn't something that we we had really planned to ask, but you know, since since you've sort of you know given that that very it's, it's libertarian, it's a libertarian position. Mm -hmm. 
And I mean, is that is that really to the exclusion of any regulation? Are there some common sense things that agencies like FDA could be implementing here and was specific to tobacco and nicotine that would be be helpful and, and not necessarily, uh, you know, coercing people to make decisions, but allowing us? Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. I mean, not uh, it should absolutely be made clear. Not all regulation is bad. Regulation in many areas facilitates um, freer and better markets, and also um, helps consumers. So, for instance, you know, take the specific example of, um, of cigarettes. You know, if it was not clear to consumers that cigarettes are, have a massive health risk, that would be a massive failure. If you didn't know cigarettes were bad for you, people would overconsume cigarettes. Right. Um, if you are not if you're not aware of the trade offs in the economics jargon, we would call them uh, asymmetries of information where one half of a transaction um, knows more is aware of something that the other half is not. Then you get consumers making choices that they wouldn't themselves want to make because they're ill informed about uh, the trade offs. And as your sort of question suggests, many people are ill informed about the trade offs when it comes to risk reducing nicotine products. So there's absolutely a role for um government to say one that you can smoke cigarettes if you want but they are very dangerous and consumers should be aware of that and that there are also alternative products that may not be risk-free but are dramatically safer and with that knowledge you do as you will now we can get into more sort of complex things for instance about you know if you are imposing a cost on other people alcohol would be a good example mm. you know why do we tax alcohol well, because alcohol, you know, for people who drink, it's, you know, I'm myself included, uh, alcohol is great, but, has, but does have major societal costs, you know, in terms of drink driving or violence or any of those kind of things. And so instead of banning alcohol, we will regulate it and uh, to tell consumers, you know, what are the possible health consequences, educate people about what can happen if they drink too much alcohol. Uh, and also we tax alcohol because it takes up police resources in terms of getting, you know, dealing with law and order and, um, uh, and accidents and so on. So there's absolutely a role for government in, um, in facilitating smooth running and efficient markets. But those are always to make sure that other people aren't bearing costs and also that consumers are um, making the decisions that they would freely want to make. Uh, when regulation verges into, well, it's just the regulator or a pressure group's idea of what is good for the consumer mm -hmm. outside of what that consumer thinks is good for themselves. You know, the, the idea that the preferences of a third party would trump the preferences of the consumer themselves, that's when we get into paternalism and very unjust paternalism. Sort of the difference between something that's harming you or, well, you're dependent on it, that's bad. Well, yeah. that's your opinion. <laughs> exactly, that's, it. That, that's exactly right, Kristen. I mean, People can make all sorts of judgments about other people's behavior and they're free to make those judgments. But the problem is you are not that person. So you don't know what the trade-offs they have in their own mind. So mm -hmm. somebody who is, for instance, very health conscious, uh, you know, is very into physical activity and eating well, going to the gym, all that great stuff. That's fine. You know, more power to them. That's not me. That's not how I live my life or care to because the time we're all limited in the time we have, you know, on this, on this earth. And so time is in essence, your most precious resource. And so how you choose to spend that time? Is it, well, I want to extend this time as much as possible, or do I want to, you know, maximize the enjoyment I have in this time? 
all that is going to vary from we're going to have as many opinions as there are people on the planet and you really have to leave everyone to make their own decision rather than impose what your values or preferences would be on other people right and i'm glad i'm glad alex asked you that question because people very often think libertarians are like anarchists and don't want any kind of regulation at all and just think it should be a free-for-all and and it's definitely not that way and um, I was curious to do what, what is the, uh, comparison? What is the, um, what's the word I'm looking for? What will most closely match that in, in the UK as far as libertarian party, would you say? Well, I, I, there's no explicit, well, I think there is a, a, a libertarian party. It's very, very small, but the, the, the UK, like the U S is a first past the post electoral system, which really, um, gravitates towards two major parties, the Conservative Party and the Labour Party. Uh, like there are here. other parties. Yeah, very much like here. <laughs> and uh, so you do have other parties, the Liberal Democrats and uh, and some others as well. But in terms of sort of libertarian influence, there are several think tanks in the UK, for instance, uh, uh, two of which I, I, I used to intern for many, many moons ago now, uh, the Institute of Economic Affairs and the Adam Smith Institute, um, both of which also do great work on, on harm reduction issues as well. Mm. Uh, there's also the Taxpayers Alliance. There's a sort of network of groups in the UK that push for uh, free market and libertarian ideas, you know, within a system of uh, the rule of law saying, you know, we should right. have freer markets, freer Not trade, a freer economy, and, you know, having, um, you know, consumers uh, really make the, uh, um, these choices. So there is that sort of influence without there being a sort of, party it would be very much here like you would have there are libertarian members of parliament um some of whom are, qu uh, are quite prominent so you know whilst there isn't a specific party there is a sort of intellectual network that sort of inflects its ideas right. into the general political discourse and we tend to be kind of centered i guess one of the reasons why i asked because you know my my advocacy my getting into uh tobacco harm reduction advocacy just opened my eyes to a lot of stuff that was going on in government and that's how I got involved. I consider myself a libertarian now, small L, I would say, because I'm not a member of the party. That's a whole other story. Mm. But, um, yeah. but I should also get, make clear that Reason itself has no official affiliation with the right. libertarian it party. To, <laughs> it tends to lean towards libertarian Absolutely, uh, yeah. ideals of being a little more socially um, liberal and more fiscally conservative and that's kind of right where i ended up being and and a lot of it with the regulations and stuff it's just crazy how much they over regulate stuff so i guess my question to you was uh what came first with you is it do you have libertarian leanings first and that got you into vaping or did you start vaping and like with me that all of a sudden opened your eyes to hey wait a minute what's going on here with governments yeah totally it's a great question i think well when i was first my sort of first sort of experience of of free markets and you know being attracted to libertarianism or, or you know really or, and really just anti-paternalism and anti-prohibitionism was when I was interning for the Institute of Economic Affairs and um, I think I, I was a fairly normal conservative back then so you know fairly in favor you know in favor of sort of free markets and you know limited government and so on um, but was very you know okay with for instance you know the uh, prohibition on drugs. Uh, you know, I'd seen like like many people have, you know, people what in their you know? family, you know, um, you know, lost to drugs and all the terrible consequences mm. that drug use can have, um, you know, and that's just illegal drugs, you know, let alone alcoholism, which, you know, is very, very rife. 
But uh, I remember, you know, I was talking to the director general there. He took all the interns out and we were arguing about drug legalization. And I got home and I was just like, wow, Mark really, really floored me in that debate. But, you know, the, how so many of the harms that I was associating with drugs were because of prohibition. You know, what are you going to do? Are you going to have, you know, surveillance cameras everywhere and people say to monitor, you know, what people are doing? Are you going to bust down doors, put people, you know, none of this works. And then just over a sort of long period, I was, you know, just reading, reading more and more and listening to, you know, sort of professors and economists and people like that. And I think I sort of really got the sense of sort of anti-paternalism in that, you know, to really, you know, respect other people is to respect their choices, even if you think they're wrong. You know, you would never, you know, if there was, you know, somebody in your, you know, nearest and dearest, a great friend of yours who, you know, is drinking too much and so on, you know, uh, you try and reason with them and so on, get them to change their behavior, but you wouldn't break into their apartment and pour all their liquor down the sink. You know, you just wouldn't do that. And it's no, and it's no better if the government does that. You know, right. you should, you should, you know, don't displace what you wouldn't do individually onto the government. And so to respect people is to respect their choices, even when you, um, when you disagree with them. So I think that was definitely a sort of uh, a path that I took of like, you know, even, you know, it's a pill to swallow. You have to say, I think this person is making a wrong choice, but even, but using government to, to solve that choice often creates more, more problems than, uh, than it solves. So how'd the vaping come in? So the vaping really came in, well, when I was, you know, because I was a smoker. I started smoking when I was 13. And uh, I, I, and I always said, even when I was in high school, I was like, oh, God, it's such a shame because smoking is so bad for you. But I really do like smoking. And <laughs> um, uh, it was like, it would be great if there was some simulacrum of this product that wouldn't, wouldn't kill you. Because I was fairly resigned to um, smoking probably for the rest of my life and then just taking my chances if, you know, half of lifelong smokers die of smoking-related disease and you could lose, you know, between three and ten years of your life. And that was a trade-off I was willing to make. Uh, but I remember sort of, uh, you know, covering the sort of, you know, rumblings of, you know, the e-cigarettes really starting going mainstream in the UK and, you know, reading some of the literature around it and i was like wow this stuff is pretty incredible i tried a few they were all terrible this is very early generation you know cigar-like products that are very unsatisfying and so on um but i was still fascinated by it because i thought well this this is how it starts this is this is how mobile phones start this is how you know all the rest of it you know it's going to start with something very probably pretty overpriced and not very good uh but innovators are gonna you know really you know um jump the ship and try and try and improve this and that's exactly what happened and i thought it was fascinating that um that as this was happening there was a group of people who were just automatically rejecting this mm -hmm. i was like wow this is this is going to be great it's like sort of if, if anyone's familiar with the golden rice which is um uh, a genetically modified form of rice that mm -hmm. i live um ups your dosage of vitamin a which can prevent blindness that would you know prevent millions of children getting blind in you know developing countries but you know people were just against this because it's you know unnatural or whatever i mean so is almost all of modern agriculture right. um, but and there were just people against this and i was like against these innovations and i just i was like this is bizarre and i think that really sort of i carried that through when i started working here where i just saw that on steroids i mean it was <laughs> yeah. it was bad in the uk but it, it sort of quietened down 
and here I was like, oh my God, this is unbelievable that there's this huge cottage industry of people to reject this product because they, they're, they're reaching for a sort of a holy grail of a tobacco or nicotine free world. Um, which, you know, why that would be a good thing, I don't know, because again, you know, it's so, some people want to continue using these products. So why, why this would be a net benefit for everyone is, is, is beyond me. But, but and, and that really consumed a lot of what I started writing on and working on was getting into the, that harm reduction space, because I was like, well, these products are developing so quickly uh, and so well. And so many millions of people have already switched and are in the process of switching. You're, start, you're seeing real results all the time. I mean, I quit smoking because of vaping. My mother quit smoking because of vaping. My now fiance quit smoking because of vaping. I have two more friends uh, who I'm like seeing later tonight quit smoking. I mean, just both, you know, in the metadata, we see millions of people and just in my own personal circles. I just see it all around me and I'm like, you know, and there are lots of friends who, you know, who started vaping and then quit vaping, you know, fine, mm -hmm. fine for them. So I, th I, I thought it was a really important issue that wasn't getting enough attention. But thankfully, groups like Kassar and others have, you know, really put it on the map and also been, I think, when, you know, particularly a lot of the Bloomberg funded groups and Campaign for Tobacco 3 Kids thought they were going to go after all these products. And uh, they're several years behind their agenda. I think they were surprised that, you know, they have a much easier time attacking cigarettes for obvious reasons. One of which is the smokers don't don't stand up for themselves, um, but vapors do. And uh, I, I think when they would go, they would go into committee hearings or whatever, and see dozens and dozens of store owners and users of all demographics and all the uh, and everyone who actually put pressure on legislators and regulators. They were sort of taken aback by that. That there is a sort of you know organized resistance to this kind of um, I mean, definitely one of the worst kinds of prohibition I can think. I mean, I can, I'm against alcohol and drug prohibition, but I can understand it. I can understand the identifiable harms mm -hmm. you think you might be solving. But, <laughs> but banning a, but banning a, I mean, a, a clearly demonstrated safer product to cigarettes, while cigarettes are still legal, if you wanted to ban them all at once, everything all at once, I suppose, you know, you could try and make a case for that. But Banning so many of these products whilst cigarettes are still legal is just, I mean, completely insane. Yeah, I, good luck banning everything all at once. Uh, banning <laughs> all of the things that have been part of, I mean, with the exception of, uh, you know, probably, uh, you know, synthetic stuff, stuff that's produced in a lab. Drugs have been a part of, of human evolution, uh, which is, a, is sort of an interesting take on, on, on substance use generally, that these are things that we as, as animals just need. We've 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 evolved alongside of substance use, and uh, perhaps there will always be a percentage, you know, roughly twenty-five, one quarter to a third of the human population that mm -hmm. will function better, have a, a much better experience in in using drugs, and that includes, of course, nicotine. Um, but uh, uh, I know that your time is limited, and we want to make sure you get to the fun things that need to happen on a Saturday. Uh, so maybe we'll, we'll shift gears abruptly here and start getting into the, the menthol rule, um, which is why we brought you on, because uh, you have, uh, of course, um, written about this. 
uh, more than once, I'm sure. Uh, and uh, recommend checking out this article to everybody who's uh, listening and watching on the stream here. Um, and uh, in, in the spirit of switching gears abruptly, we'll get right to, uh, this, is, this is web exclusive. You all are the first to see our call to action, encouraging comments on the menthol uh, and cigar flavor ban rules. Uh, and I, I just kind of wanted to start things off by, by sort of uh, setting the table here and uh, reminding people that these are two separate rules. So you have one rule proposing to ban menthol in cigarettes and another rule that takes out flavors from cigars, I'm trying to get both my air quotes in the frame here, um, cigars, which is a, a broad category, which includes blunt wraps and components and parts of cigars, which is of course the tobacco itself, uh, filter tips and the wrapper. Um, and I, I don't think they kind of, I don't know that they went into describing uh, some of the ways that, that folks are gonna get around this with perhaps flavor cards. I've seen uh, sprays uh, that you can spray flavors on this, onto the blunts um, uh, and, and all this stuff. But it's, it's interesting and I highlight this other rule, the cigar flavor ban, because I, and I've, I've lost the reference, it's somewhere in my notes, but there are, according to national survey data, which kind of breaks, you know, kids down into to different race classes. You have uh, obviously, you know, white people. There are black kids, and then there are Hispanic kids or Latino kids. I don't know what everybody prefers to go by nowadays. So I'm sorry for bringing that up. So I just said both. Um, but uh, among black teenagers, uh, cigars are the most popular combustible product, and uh, you know, looking at a percentage of the population. It's what drives youth or black youth smoking higher than white kids and, and Latino kids or Hispanic kids. Uh, and so the, the, the ban on flavored cigars is once again, probably more significant among black youth uh, than the menthol ban. Uh, and a, another study looked at this, and I'm sorry, I don't have the references at my, at my fingertips, but for the very curious and Google foo uh, prone folks who listen, uh, about half of that, again, quote unquote, cigar use uh, is used in conjunction with smoking cannabis. Uh, and so this is for anybody who's also interested in the cannabis fight, this rule affects you. Uh, and, and so uh, laying that out, we can, we can get into some, some, some nitty gritty questions here. Uh, by the way, we will email this out uh, probably early next week. And so everybody will get the prompt to start working on their comments. And just remember, there are two. Uh, and so your, your thoughts, even if you just want to copy and paste what you wrote in one and throw it in the other, change a few words around to tailor it to uh, the rule, uh, that is totally, totally fair game. Um, and so uh, teeing that up, um, what do you think, Guy? Is there, is there a public health benefit to banning menthol here? Yeah, I mean, if there is, it's definitely, I don't think worth the um, uh, the deleterious consequences of prohibition. I think the the menthol ban is it's peculiarly pen, pernicious in the in, in the United States, um, more so than it has been in other um, jurisdictions where it's been tried. Um, I mean, this lay out FDA's reasoning for banning menthol as opposed to non-menthol cigarettes because they are both equally deadly. They're both addictive and bad for you and so on. So why ban one and not the other? The FDA sort of makes three basic claims, um, justifications why they want to ban it. 
The first is that uh, menthol is uh, especially attractive in the initiation and facilitation of smoking. So, uh, so it's especially appealing to youth uh, and plays a major role in getting youth um, hooked on, uh, on cigarettes. The second is that um, it's more addictive. Um, there's a greater um, uh, liability to uh, be addicted to menthol um, and therefore that it's harder to quit menthol cigarettes than non-menthol cigarettes. The third is that it'll uh, narrow health disparities, particularly between African-Americans and uh, non-Hispanic whites. So there's a, um, a sort of social equity lens uh, to that. Um, taking those in turn, um, the appealing to youth thing is, is just bizarre. I mean, youth smoking, from my assessment, is, is basically non-existent in this country now. I think it's a, you look at the latest 2021 National Youth Tobacco Survey data, uh, you have 1.5% of middle and high school students who uh, have used a cigarette in the past month. Of those, uh, six, more than 60% use non-menthol cigarettes. So even of the tiny proportion of kids who smoke, almost two-thirds use non-menthol. If it was especially appealing to youth, we really should see those numbers reversed. Um, in terms of the number of kids smoking regularly, I mean, you know, 20 or day, more days of the month. So what I would consider a like actual youth smoker, mm -hmm. you're talking about like something like 0.6% um, wow. of middle yeah. and high school students. I mean, I mean, and this should be great news. Let's, you know, yeah. it, it always used to be said that you could never have, you know, a classic sort of anti tobacco prohibitionist argument used to be, well, you know, we can't just regulate it and, you know, have and bar it off from kids and then adults can have it because it always gets to kids and all the rest of it. It's like, no, we pretty much eliminated youth smoking. So I think FDA's youth argument goes by the wayside. The idea that they are uh, more addictive or harder to quit is also ridiculous. Um, for instance, we did uh, Reason conducted a study. We found that um, uh, when you look at patterns of menthol use across the country, you look at uh, cigarette distribution across the United States. The states with the highest, um, uh, by the way, the states with the highest menthol consumption have um, the lowest youth smoking rates. Um, very, very, very consistent finding. Um, but also what you find is menthol smokers smoke fewer cigarettes per day. Uh, and actually that's, you know, that's not just our research. That's actually been known in public health literature for some time. Why? Uh, we're not sure. But it, it's somewhat dispositive of the idea that they are more addictive than non-menthol cigarettes. Non-menthol cigarette smokers typically smoke more cigarettes per day. Um, also, when we look at um, quit rates, so you know, how many quit attempts do you make and whether you're more, uh, more or less successful in quitting, um, we do not find major differences between menthol and non-menthol smokers. In fact, uh, I believe it was just a week before the FDA uh, announced their proposed rule a major study out of Vanderbilt University was released um, uh, with uh, tens of thousands of sample sizes um, and that actually specifically over-indexed on African-Americans who have been um, traditionally underrepresented in some of these surveys, um, and particularly with uh, a disproportionate number of African-Americans who smoke using menthol, it's important to get a, um, a realistic sample size. Uh, and what they find is no difference between menthol and non-menthol smokers in terms of successful quitting. 
and no difference between African-Americans and white smokers in terms of successful quitting. So there's, there's some evidence, uh, very sort of much more smaller studies, you know, that would contradict that, but this is the latest research and, and very finely done. So the, the idea that they're more addictive and harder to quit, I think also is very hard to maintain. Finally, the idea that this is a sort of social justice measure. One, I think it's, I think it's somewhat gross to, to cloak prohibition in the language of equity. I mean, <laughs> almost every single prohibition that's been undertaken uh, is disproportionately impactful on minorities, particularly African-Americans in the, in, the, in, the, in the American context. And the idea of banning menthol cigarettes while keeping regular cigarettes legal just smacks me of the disparities between crack and powder cocaine back in the no. 1980s. Um, that powder, uh, powder cocaine was a lighter sentence and disproportionately upper income and used by whites and crack, which is, you know, uh, from a chemistry point of view or in terms of, you know, negative health consequences, you know, virtually indistinguishable in terms of your risks from it, got much harsher sentences. And also we shouldn't forget there are parallels of that here as well in that people often forget the reason those disparities happen between crack and powder cocaine often came from um, black lawmakers in Congress who, you know, somewhat reasonably saw the crack epidemic devastating their communities, mm. but just chose the wrong policy response. They said, we want an even harsher drug war to mm. combat this. So I could understand the desire and concern because it was such a, such a nightmare, um, but the policy response was a disaster. And you see this right now with the prohibition of menthol cigarettes where many members of the Congressional Black Caucus are in favor of this. Some mm. have been vocally skeptical of it, um, and also the NAACP is, is, is totally in favor of this as well. I think it's very misguided um, because you will, FDA put some very distortive language in here saying, well, we're not enforcing this. We're only enforcing this on manufacturers and you know convenience stores. I'm like, okay, but um, the sale of untaxed cigarettes is illegal in every state. Possessing untaxed cigarettes is illegal in 36 states. And, the Washington, mm. and Washington, D.C. Um, all menthol cigarettes will be untaxed uh, <laughs> and unregulated. So the idea that there's going to be no enforcement of this, no, you know, cops aren't going to use this as an excuse to shake people down or find out, oh, well, somebody's got cartons of menthol cigarettes. What else? Is that a route to other forms of crime? You know, whether it's guns or drugs or anything else. Is, is ridiculous. And also it should be noted that in terms of narrowing health disparities, um, health disparities have actually narrowed significantly um, in the past 30 years. And the reason is, is because African-American youth are much less likely to start smoking than other groups. And that compounded over many decades has meant there's been a significant narrowing of, of the cancer gap between demographic groups. Because hmm. if you look at, you know, Hispanics, whites and African-Americans, African-Americans are the least likely to smoke out of all those groups. Yeah. So it's completely contrary. And all the, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, smoking <laughs> cigarettes. Yeah. I mean, so of all those, you could, this is completely contrary to the narrative. So I don't think FDA has a leg to stand on. They will say that any prohibition of a combustible cigarette will on net somehow improve public health. Well, one, not if most people switch to non-menthol cigarettes, which most people will do. We find this in the European Union. We find this in Canada. The vast majority just use non-menthol cigarettes. Again, equally dangerous and 
possibly worse if you think that considering non-menthol smokers smoke more cigarettes per day, ironically, if people switch from menthol to non-menthol, they could end up smoking more. Just a thought. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but you uh, see everything, everything you see about pr uh, promoting this, they keep saying, well, they're disproportionately affected, that they, they are, they're more likely to have smoking related diseases. I mean, where are they getting all this from? Is that from the smaller studies you were referencing before? Or you're saying black people yeah. end up because they smoke menthol, they end up getting sick more, even though they smoke less, they get sick more from smoking. Yeah. It, it, is that, does that bear out? I think that the, the problem of what, um, what they're attributing is that uh, FDA will say African-Americans suffer disproportionately from smoking-related diseases, even though fewer of fewer, fewer you smoke, the adult smoking rate is around the same as the white smoking rate. Um, but even though they smoke, for instance, fewer cigarettes per day and typically start later, start later in life. Well, you have to ask why, why that is and where they're getting that. And what they're getting at there is um, that what they're not doing is they're not controlling for other factors. That they're saying was, that, that they're attributing this to smoking. Once you start controlling for uh, income, uh, for instance, uh, environment, urban environment, we say much more polluted environment, um, socio-demographic status, access to health care. So once you start controlling for those factors, then you see diabetes. Yeah, di di exactly. Exactly. That's a big one. <laughs> all, all these other facts. Once you start isolating and controlling for those things, then you start to see a, the disproportionate number disappear because then you would have to make some very bizarre argument about how, I mean, you would get into a very strange territory of then saying how African-Americans would be somewhat physiologically different. Because they smoke the, less, but because, get sick more. Yeah, because yeah. the same smoke is going into their lungs, but uh, it's going into a white person's lungs, but one's getting more, like just really bizarre stuff. You'd have to tell you to, Twist yourselves and not. So yeah. I think, Christian, you, you, that's a really important point. I think it's something that, you know, we'll be putting in our comments is like this okay. disparate, this idea of disparate outcomes, which again have already started narrowing. I mean, according to the American Cancer Society of all people, yeah. uh, is, is, um, is, it should be tackled as well. But it's once you start controlling for those factors, which again raise other questions about. Okay, then what about tackling pollution in the urban environment, socio, you know, educational opportunity, you know, access to healthcare? Those are much more pertinent questions than banning, than picking on a minority of a minority, targeting yet another prohibition. And you know, I think most relevant to you know a Kassar audience and why you know people watching should be interested in this is it's entirely unnecessary because if if, if for instance. FDA could authorize just a few menthol e-cigarettes. I mean, a few would not be, you know, nearly enough, but could start authorizing more e-cigarette and reduced risk products. And actually the public wasn't so ill-informed about the relative risks of these products. I mean, I think, um, you know, something like 98% of the public is inaccurately informed on the relative risks of vaping. I think the NI, um, National Health Interview Survey, or, or something else, it was on, uh, I saw this on Clive Bates's excellent uh, blog, that um, I think only 2% of the public answered um, that e-cigarettes were much safer than combustible cigarettes. And everyone else either didn't know or thought the opposite. You know, Once you correct for those perceptions, once you have a harm reduction model, you don't need prohibition. 
So we can forego all the potential costs, the law enforcement costs, the incredibly sort of, I mean, this is a, this is targeted racial paternalism of a quite ugly kind, I think. Mm-hmm. And all of that can be avoided because we have safe alternatives. Wasn't true 30 years ago, wasn't true 50 years ago, but it's true now. So this is entirely unnecessary. And, there, and so for those who want to quit, want to use nicotine, want to use nicotine in flavors, there is a model to do that. So, you know, why burden ourselves with the cost of another prohibition just at the same time when we're getting rid of marijuana prohibition and all the rest of it, and we're just going backwards in the tobacco front? Yeah. I, I did want to add to what you brought up and, and, and talking about why this is something we included in our position statement last year about the, the proposed menthol rule and, and why it, it, it sounds like if you're if you're sort of casually listening to the, the justification here and, and, and this emphasis on on saving the black community. Um, I, I think that, you know, as you said, there are other uh, things that need to be controlled for in, in assessing, you know, uh, black people dying from smoking attributable disease. And a lot of this has to do with I'll give you the word. This is here's the here. The, the collection of words here is environmental racism. It's a real thing. It's structural. Uh, these are, you know, parts environmental racism is part of our our built environment if i'm using that correctly mm-hmm. everything from uh, elevated freeways that divide communities to where uh you know the incineration plant is being located or or heavy polluting industries uh typically you can find those things next to black or otherwise underprivileged communities that aren't known to fight back effectively against uh, zoning laws that allow industries like that to locate next to, to uh communities so uh, absolutely a much larger conversation than just, you know, somehow African-Americans are uniquely susceptible to smoking attributable disease, which I, I would think is, is uh, if people are thinking critically about that, would, would probably be very offensive to imply that somehow uh, they are, are genetically implying that one race is genetically inferior to another race uh, seems to not go over very well uh, in history. Um, so that, that, that was just something that, an added layer I wanted to, to add there. Just think about who, who's most likely to be standing on a bus corner as the diesel bus goes by and plumes of smoke come out of the back of it. You know, yeah. is it going to be some, some wealthy mom from the suburbs? No. You know, I mean, who's getting going to be exposed to that more? I mean, we were just talking before the show about how I remember living in the city and the smell of diesel fuel from the buses brings back memories, you know, of summer. But that's true. I mean, you've got I we have a meme that we put out because they were banning vaping at bus stops. And then you look at this black smoke coming out of the back of these things. That stuff's carcinogenic. I mean, and, 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 and black people and people in poor neighborhoods tend to use the bus more. They're standing out there as bus after bus and car after car comes by and getting into the bus. And, you know, so, I mean, do they take that into account? Who knows? You know, when that's they're true. figuring I mean, out these yeah. rates, you know. That's exactly right. I mean, I live in the, the D.C. metro area and D.C. is a majority black city. Um, and you find, of course, the city is majority black and the outer, you know, the outer rings, the suburbs and, you know, Maryland and Arlington all uh, are, are overwhelmingly are overwhelmingly white. I mean, so I think you know you guys make a, exactly a fine point on that. But also, I mean, if we think about the logic here, I mean, if banning menthols would save X many lives, and we think it is a worthy violation um, of of people's choice, um, 
I mean, just imagine how many lies if you could if you ban them all. I mean, FDA doesn't legally have the authority to do that. I mean, they do in an attenuated sense by reducing the nicotine in cigarettes to a level that where it's you know the product is essentially banned. But but I mean, just from a philosophical point, I mean, you know, they say, well, you know, I I find the idea that well, tobacco because they always say, well, tobacco companies targeted the African American community with menthol. That's why you have disproportionate use of menthol and so on. And I was like, well, that could, that could largely be true. Um, but I mean, I, I, I'm not even sure why it's a relevant point. The tobacco tobacco companies also disproportionately target white working class women with, with more barrettes or women with vogues. I mean, I, I'm not quite sure why. I understand it's, 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 it's branding and marketing. I mean, if you think, you know, tobacco advertising, um, you know, is inherently sort of, you know, immoral, um, I suppose, but then it would be just as immoral for the more, for the mobile man as for like cools or Newports. Like there's no, there's no different. I mean, every product segments consumers. And so, I'm, I'm and so, totally you with know, you on that one. I make that I'm, argument all the time. Why is one worse than the other? I don't know. A single person who smokes who said, yeah, it's because I saw an ad. So I went out and bought yeah. marbles. I mean, my husband was a menthol smoker. He, Grew up in an interracial family, interracial neighborhoods, lots of black people in the neighborhoods. They all smoked menthol. That's why he smoked menthol. My dad smoked marble reds. I smoked marbles. It, yeah. That had so much more to do with That's it than, than any kind of targeting or ad. I mean, sure, you're going to have a lot of ads in those neighborhoods for those menthols because the people there smoke menthols. So they're trying to get, come smoke our menthols, you know, and do that instead. Uh, before we get too late, I just want to ask, I'm seeing a lot of stuff in the chat about people saying, well, I don't like menthol. It doesn't matter. I don't like menthol vapes. I don't, you know, tell us why people who vape should care about menthol being banned. How does, how does that kind of a, what goes around comes around, you know, where, where, why should they care? Why should they do that call to action that CASA has? Help them see the bigger picture, if you would. I hate to put you on the spot, but I bet you could. No, no worries. <laughs> um, well, one, because menthol vapes will be banned. Uh, and are being banned. Uh, it's um, if you, I think if you one, I, it's a point of personal autonomy. I think it, I think the the idea of a racially disproportionately racially targeted prohibition um, is is problematic to begin with, and that people should, I think, on principle, be opposed to. Uh, why does it matter in the broader harm reduction context? Well, look at the arguments. For instance, uh, that F uh, FDA is making, let's say that um, let's say a disproportionate number of Afro-Americans start using um, menthol vapes of those that are on the market uh, at the moment, uh, and let's say even if a few get get authorized, let's say some nonsense research comes out that says, well, menthol is especially appealing to youth and it's especially appealing to this demographic as well, so let's ban that. Um, let's just leave you with tobacco flavored vapes. I mean, you know, this, the, the reasoning here can just go, because remember the tobacco control, you know, or at least those who are very opposed to the harm reduction framework, you know, will seamlessly move on from menthol cigarettes to saying, you know, well, even though it's not smoking, it's nicotine and nicotine affects developing brains and menthol is especially appealing. Just the logic here works. And also, you know, I think the harm reduction and sort of vaping community can be very useful in this context of saying, listen, 
this is going to be a nightmare for law enforcement. It's going to be a nightmare for those individuals who are either going to continue buying menthols on the black market or switch to just non-menthol cigarettes. We have a better solution for you. And if you, if FDA and the government took a more accommodative attitude towards vaping, you wouldn't need to do this because there are lots of people who are opposed to this, both in Congress um, and in uh, and in prominent positions. Al Sharpton at the National Action Network has been very vocal against this, the American Civil Liberties Union against this, and the vaping community can be there to provide, well, I know you don't want to do nothing. You think lots of people are smoking menthol when they shouldn't, so you want to help them. We can help. This is your way to get out of prohibition. It is to authorize more vapes, it's to inform more people about vaping. So it is, I think, up to the vaping community to say, we are the solution to the problem you are you're assessing or trying to solve that's that's the critical part yeah i, I would say uh, you know <clears throat> if there is a uh, a suggestion or recommendation for the the substance of people's comments that, that we're encouraging it, it is just that it is urging fda to authorize a variety of flavored enjoyable smoke-free alternatives um, and, and, and so I, I, I absolutely, we absolutely agree. I think that's, that's definitely something that the FDA needs to hear. And then leading into the next question, you know, is sort of the, the, the opposite side of this, which is if, if FDA does get this inch, if they are able to, to ban menthol and flavored cigars, does that then put more pressure on the agency to authorize flavored vapor products and other smoke-free alternatives? Um, Pessimistically, I'm, 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 I would say no. Um, I would think, well, yeah, I can, I can, I can just see the tobacco control or the, the sort of anti-vaping community saying now it's like, well, you know, menthol cigarettes are no longer available. Um, why, why do, why, why do, why does anyone need menthol vapes? You can only get non-menthol cigarettes, and so you have a tobacco-flavored alternative. So why do you even need those anyway? So I know there, it will not put. It, you know, more prohibitions is not good for the vaping industry. Yeah. You know, even in the combustible sense, you know, it, 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 it doesn't help. I mean, and because you could make the argument now, before menthols are illegal, we want menthols to attract current menthol smokers. The campaign for tobacco-free kids argument would be, well, there are no menthol smokers anymore, so you don't need menthol vapes, or you don't need vapors. Of course, there will be menthol smokers because right. you'll get illegal, not just the physical illegal menthol cigarettes that will be shipped in, but across Europe now, you see a huge proliferation of devices and mechanisms to adulterate your cigarettes to make them taste like menthol. So you see flavoring cards, you see sprays, you see little pads. I'm, I mean, quite ingenious little devices that, mm -hmm. you know, you put in your pack of cigarettes and it mentholates them and you get the taste of a menthol cigarette. I mean, you know, so uh, it's not going to be good. Uh, the, it won't put pressure uh, to authorize more menthol vapes. If anything, I'd say it could probably do the opposite. What about yeah. uh, very low nicotine cigarettes? Because didn't they authorize a menthol very low nicotine? Do you think maybe they're counting on that, that, oh, they won't have regular menthol cigarettes, but now they'll use these very low nicotine and then that will help them sack. Do you think that's going on in their head? Well, I mean, because if that, that will be fascinating to see, because if that is still allowed, which I, I would imagine, yeah, they already I would, they've already authorized it and it's got an MRTP as well as a PMTA. Right. Uh, I suppose they could, but it would be very, because of course you're getting just all, 
you're getting everything terrible that's in a cigarette. I mean, these very yeah. low nicotine cigarettes, I mean, I, I think it's a somewhat shameful product. I mean, the, the, this, this company that makes them, I won't, I, I won't mention it. Uh, oh, we're with like, you on that. <laughs> but the, a, a company that entirely exists um, uh, based on the premise that other products will be banned um, is quite an example of, of very um, gross business practice. But I don't, I don't think I, I don't think that's factoring majorly into FDA's calculations because one, if people did switch to that, right? If if, if menthol smokers switch that on mass, it would totally screw up their modeling calculations of how many lives would be saved because these things are just equally as deadly. Well, they think that people will quit they, because of them because all they, their studies show show people yeah, quit with them. These, uh, yeah, showing that people will quit. I mean, I, my my mother used to smoke silk cuts in the UK, which were very very low nicotine cigarettes. They were marketed as very low nicotine. That was a sort of selling point of them. People mm. used to be perfectly happy smoking silk cuts. So I don't think you would see that anyway. Um, so <laughs> no, so no, and FDA's modelling on this is very over generous in terms of what they think how they think consumers will react. But right. Yeah, I don't think uh, FDA is like sort of banking that, um, you know, we've got very low nicotine cigarettes and that will solve the problem here. Because if they, if there is on, again, it's sort of the logic is backward because if these things are so unappealing, as they say, well, you'll either just get switched to non-menthol cigarettes with full nicotine or menthol cigarettes on the black market or use flavor cards to mentholate your regular cigarettes. So the de where the demand for this product is going to come, I have no idea. Yeah. Well, I mean, I know that's their goal to eventually have all cigarettes be very low nicotine because these the company has completely bamboozled them into thinking that they're actually yeah. people won't compensate and stuff. But yeah, I just I think people need to understand that are letting them get away with there's no justification really you've already laid that out that there's really those first three points that you made of fda justification you pretty much blew them out of the water but there's no justification for that so what we're really talking about here is again letting the fda letting the anti-tobacco establishment um pass regulations pass laws make decrees based on lies and misinformation and just stuff they pulled out of the air. And if we let them get away with that, that's the same stuff they're going to keep using against vaping. And I, I to me, that's, that's why vapors should care about this because every time I see a lot of vapors perpetuating smoking myths and tobacco myths and because they've been sold this, this lie for so many years that, uh, they just keep repeating it. And that's why a lot of them think, oh, I did really well moving to vaping. I quit smoking. I did what everybody, kind of like what you said earlier when you first started, I was the same way early 2009. It was all like, oh, they're going to love it that we quit. And we were just stunned that all these, the body parts orgs all came out against them. And we're like, yeah. what? I don't understand. And that's when you get a real quick education into what the anti-tobacco and anti-nicotine zealots really are, you know, that's why I nicknamed yeah. them ants, you know, because they're anti-nicotine and tobacco zealots. And I think people need to understand their tactics. And every time that you put, you perpetuate that myth that, you know, whatever myths they are, that, that smokeless tobacco causes oral cancer more than smoking, that, uh, Everybody who smokes ends up dying from smoking-related disease or getting lung cancer. I and mean, a lot of people don't even know that only 10% of smokers get lung cancer. You know, all these things, you know, menthol causes 
kids to you know, brain damage. And I mean, all that stuff that, that we know are lies about vaping, they're telling about smoking. And then we turn around and we perpetuate that secondhand smoke kills 30,000 people a year. No, it doesn't, you know? So we keep saying that. And then we wonder, well, how are they using these lies against us? Well, you just supported a whole bunch of other lies. And I think that that's kind of where I was going with the menthol thing of why vapors should, should oppose this because it's just more lies. And then when they're done with that, don't think they're going to leave you alone. They're going to come right back after us again, you know? So. And, and I did, you guys were asking about, I, I think I heard that correctly while I was looking for things, um, whether or not they would go after the very low nicotine cigarettes. And as it's written, I mean, the scope of the proposed rule is all types, sizes, nicotine strengths, and formulations of cigarettes, cigarette tobacco, and roll your own tobacco. And this also includes heated tobacco products that meet the definition of a cigarette in the FDNC Act, which I, I didn't go and, and diligently research to double check what the definition is and whether or not a product like Icos would be um, uh, included in this. But it's it, this ban is, at least at the moment, indiscriminate. And so... For, for people who are CASA members, our overarching mission here is tobacco harm reduction. Uh, and so here, right here, you know, there, there's, if anybody's on the fence about getting uh, engaged in this, standing up for heat, not burn products is, is probably uh, something that, that should get you, get you engaged. Um, you know, totally, the heat, not burn stuff, exactly. I mean, we, we obviously, you know, there's a problem with, you know, ICOS now that it's not on, not on the market, but, you know, when we do have other heat of, heated products coming back onto the market exactly i think that's a very good point um and you know fda can withdraw things like you know pmgas now <laughs> you know they can you know there's not that's not set in stone um the, these things can be taken away yeah that's, that's another you know one of the stuff? i'm sorry is that just combustible i mean it's like snooze and every pouch no, is everything not okay so everything guys, it, yeah so that affects us as casa people mm -hmm you know, being tobacco harm reduction and not just vaping. We're talking about nicotine pouches and, and snooze. Oh, and which, which, uh, which menthol issue are you asking about? Menthol. Oh, you know, no, no, this is only for combustible products. Oh, it is only combustible. But okay. also. But they'll come because, after that eventually. Because. It's defined as a cigarette. Yeah. Yeah. Because, because of the heat not burn product, because the heat sticks. Right. Uh, in, in something like a third or two thirds of the states, heat sticks are already included in the state's definition of, a cigarette for tax purposes. And so I imagine also, you know, looking, I don't know why they didn't just go and include the definition here, but uh, they get down there somewhere in the document, the definition of the cigarettes there. Um, but, but yeah, I, that that's an issue already for heat, not burn that, you know, as soon as it comes on the market, we don't get to have this discussion uh, unless we push for it about, a, you know, a lower tax rate for reduced risk products like ICOs that did receive the MRTP from, from FDA. Um, and then, as you were saying about the, you know, the, the uh, marketing orders and MRTP, uh, first of all, MRTP, and I, I think about the marketing orders, it's a review every three years. And even during that time, FDA has the authority to revoke marketing orders uh, or an MRTP, uh, you know, whatever. I, I imagine they're a little bit more diligent than, say, YouTube, uh, but uh, they... Uh, <laughs> They have that op that option, which it sort of makes all of the, you know, the hand wringing and, and, and very vocal opposition to approving new or authorizing new products uh, just uh, kind of ridiculous. Uh, you know, Matt Myers and the Funky Bunch are acting like this is, you know, once a product is authorized, it's set in stone. It's out there forever, which is absolutely not the case. If something does come out in the data, which it's not likely to, 
FDA does have the authority to step in and take the products off the market. So, so it's why they're afraid because if if something gets get is authorized and nothing bad happens, then they have less of a case to ban it. So, <laughs> yeah, good point. Well, <laughs> I know that we come up on our hour, way. and uh, and you have to go. Did you have any final thoughts or anything that you'd like people to know about this whole thing? Uh, Nothing massive in conclusion. I think you guys have covered it brilliantly. Just thanks so much for uh, for having me, and you know, really looking forward to you know continuing to work with Kassar on uh, harm reduction issues. Um, you know, I think uh, it's been a it's been an exciting you know year so far, both in the states and um, still weighty on all sorts of craziness for PMTA authorizations. So, but we'll continue you know write, writing about this and um, helping out where we can. So, if anyone's interested in you know some of the work that. You know, I do, but also, you know, my other colleagues at Reason who um, work in this issue on Reason Magazine side, Jacob Sullum writes mm -hmm. a lot about um, tobacco and tobacco harm reduction. He's a, yeah, he's a great follow. Find him at reason.com. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we my colleague. Stuff uh, a lot too. Yeah, Jacob, Jacob's fantastic. We also have, I mean, we actually have three Jacobs in the Reason universe. <laughs> There's Jacob Sullum, Jacob Rich, who's my, uh, my colleague on the think tank side, the foundation. Um, who actually, uh, he has a new preprint study up on um, how the Massachusetts flavor ban impacted um, uh, sales of cigarettes in the surrounding states, which is uh, right. really interesting stuff. Uh, and also uh, Jacob Greer, who's not full-time with us, but writes, um, uh, but uh, occasionally, occasionally writes for Reason and is a great friend of- He's actually uh, guested on our show a couple of times. Yes, fantastic. We'll, we'll have to get the other Jacob on one of these days. Yes, too, absolutely. But... And he's fantastic and he writes for us as well. He's actually written a, uh, our, the May issue of Reason Magazine um, is a uh, uh, very, very cool cover. It's on the, you know, sex cigarettes and the new prohibitionists. Right. And, and, and Jacob Greer wrote one of the leading articles for that. So, yeah, all at Reason.com. We actually have on Monday, um, uh, I'll pre preview this. Um, on Monday, we should have a video coming out about the war on nicotine in which Jacob, from Reason TV, in which Jacob is uh, one of the folks, um, uh, Jacob Greer is one of the folks there. Um, so I'll be tweeting that out and send that to you guys. So oh, good. Um, yeah. should be uh, it's a it's a great video. Um, so that that'll be hopefully should be released Monday. Well, I remember. I mean, I've been doing this since two thousand nine. I remember you being one of the earliest people in the media to come out and and I mean, so it doesn't surprise me that you actually vape because <laughs> people who vape get it. You know, they they actually get it. And so you've put out some brilliant stuff over the years. And so we want to give you a thank you for that. And thank you for coming on the show and uh, all the stuff that you write. And hey, if you ever want to quote from consumers, from the actual stakeholders in one of your articles, you know how to reach Alex. Absolutely. <laughs> or absolutely. me. <laughs> absolutely. And as, as I always said, the only, you know, a lot of groups like CTFK and all the ANS groups cast themselves as stakeholders. Really, the only two stakeholders in a transaction are the business and the consumer. There's the only stakeholder. Just hating a product doesn't make you a stakeholder. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so true. But unfortunately, we as consumers, the true stakeholders of the two, rarely have a place at the table or rarely get uh, get into the media and get quotes and get asked about how we feel about things. And I don't see a whole lot of people talking to black people who smoke menthols either. So, um, which is really interesting. So maybe somebody should talk to some of them too. Yeah. Hmm, there you go. There's a story so, for you guys. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, enjoy the rest of your weekend. Thank you again. You too, so guys. Thank you so much. Take care. All right. Thanks, All right. All right. All right.
I, we're gonna great. have to we're gonna have to get that uh, just hating a product doesn't make you a stakeholder on right? it. Right, I like that. That's another T-shirt. Aging, Aging Danielle, Danielle. Where are you? <laughs> <laughs> and I did. I, I we kind of ran out of time, but I, I did want to you know while we were talking about um, you know banning products and uh, you know moving people forcibly from smoking mm -hmm. to vaping, Simon Clark who uh, runs Forest in the mm -hmm. UK, which is, uh, I have it, I wrote it down because I never, I never remember which this. I would love to get him on the show. I would, I would love him. Freedom Organization for the Right to Enjoy Smoking Tobacco. Um, he has a blog post out uh, from uh, today, today, uh, I guess, suggestions in the UK Parliament about banning all cigarettes and forcing people to take up vaping. This isn't, this isn't what we advocate for at all. Um, and and I, I, I think we agree with Simon here uh, and other experts that, uh, you know, it, it, it's all about encouraging people to switch, giving them access to products that are more enjoyable and obviously safer. Uh, and people will, I think, very naturally and organically make that choice. And, in, in, you know, as, as we have talked about on, uh, on, on the Twitter spaces, and I think I've brought it up here as well, the, the research from Dr. Carl Phillips and Mary Glover, uh, looking at that initial shock of the Surgeon General's report in 1964, and that being almost exclusively responsible for all of the declines in smoking, um, it doesn't seem like saying it. It, it, it just doesn't make these heavy handed regulations are just not necessary. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we we don't need to ban menthol to get youth smoking down below two percent. It's just yeah. it's there because parents figured this out. Parents are quitting smoking in droves. Parents are quitting smoking thanks to vaping. We don't, we, we just don't need the, the cattle prod anymore. Um, mm -hmm. Smoking is going out of style. And, you know, for people who want to continue to smoke, I'm, I, I, I know how much I love smoking and I, I'm in no position to take that, that, that pleasure away from people. Um, and so I would just hope that, you know, to me, it's like looking at, the, the difference between smoking and vaping or, you know, nicotine pouches or even Swedish snooze is kind of like, you know, if you were to see somebody driving down the freeway, you know, talking on a rotary dial phone, you know, we, <laughs> yeah. we have cell phones now. We yeah. upgraded the technology. That's to me, that's the difference between smoking and vaping. So, <laughs> yeah, it, you know, and it's. Well, for us, it's a, it's a balance because we're, we're not smoking advocates. But the thing is, is that the 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 anti-nicotine tobacco zealots have so exaggerated harms and stuff that you've almost gotten to this point. Where, well, I mean, you see the lack of trust that people have in our health groups these days, even not vapors and not smokers, you know, people who smoke and people who smoke have been kind of sounding the alarm. And, and I suggest people go read Simon's uh Simon's blog to get a perspective and get some, you know, to understand the experience. It's one of the reasons I'd like to have him or, or Audrey um, come on our show because they went through all this when it, when it came with smoking, they saw all the lies coming out about secondhand smoke because the, the, um, the aunties had to create this harm to other people because they were losing the argument of, you know, what I, my body, my choice, you know? And so they had to show some kind of harm to other people. And that's why you see these people doing this with the menthol is they're trying to create an exaggerated harm, something different, something, something other 
to counter these arguments. We have to help. We have to do something with for them. You know, um, it's not fair. Was they already have to deal with so much, and we have to help them? When in reality, for some of these people, it's their one guilty pleasure. You know, and I mean, and to take and you're taking that away from them, and, and it's just wrong. And and again, like I said earlier, if we keep supporting this, if we keep letting them get away with these lies, we're only perpetuating that and we're only capitulating or, or, or kowtowing to their expertise. And, you know, well, they tell the truth. This is all the stuff. This is true. Secondhand smoke, menthol, blah, blah, blah. And then we have to complain when they turn around and lie about us and people believe them and not us. Well, <laughs> you know, we're, we've been supporting them in that way. So we need to stop doing that. I'm off my soapbox. Agreed. <laughs> awesome. So uh, without further ado, this is uh, going to be a slightly shorter episode this week. And we can get well, right to the legislative rundown. Do you think? Let's do it. All right. So uh, as I promised at the top of the show, um, we are going to have a really brief one this week. As I mentioned at the beginning, but just to make sure it's on the radar for folks who are just listening to the legislative rundown, we do have the comment period open for the menthol and flavored cigar ban rules uh, coming from FDA. The comment period opened on May the 4th, be with you, and it closes on July 5th. Uh, so you've got a little bit more than a month, a month and a half here to get your comments in. Um, we have our call to action up on our website. All Kassam members are going to be getting an email about this early next week. Uh, but those uh, who are listening to the podcast who are here today, you can go to our website. Just pop menthol into the search bar and you should be able to find this. Um, and we have a little bit of background and explainer in here. We have some perspective, of course, from Kassam's board president, Danielle Jones. Uh, and also a link to our original um, uh, position statement on uh, the menthol ban proposed rule. Uh, and of course, at the time, we didn't know that this was going to be two separate rules banning flavored cigars as well. Um, but it, at the time, it was sort of just one that was out there. Um, and uh, as I showed earlier, uh, there are two rules and please comment on both of them and we make this really easy. There's nothing pre-written in here. This is all about your story, your experience, and hopefully as we're encouraging people to do, urge the FDA to authorize more flavored, enjoyable, safer alternatives to combustible tobacco products. It's a mouthful. You don't have to type all that out or say it to your friends. Just say vaping is great or I like snooze and nicotine pouches. Much and really, instead of banning, I mean, don't say go ahead and ban menthol cigarettes, but don't ban right. menthol. I mean, that's just shooting yourself in the foot, guys. Please do not do that. Right. That's as as, as as Guy articulated succinctly today, and as we have been saying all along, um, we already have the solution, and it's about meeting people where they're at and giving them safer alternatives. So um, please take advantage of this. We'd love to get tons of comments on this rule. Um, uh, Kassah opposes the rule. Uh, but of course, I understand other people's thoughts and feelings on this and, and FDA wants to hear it. So take advantage of what we've got here uh, and 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 get your comments in. Moving swiftly along here, uh, we talked about all the good things that happened uh, with legislation last week. Uh, the, the flavor ban in Colorado was shot down and the flavor ban in Connecticut was shot down. Actually, was the flavor ban in Colorado shot down this week? Uh, it was this week. Yeah, yeah we had 
we had a sort of a lightning round um, in, in Colorado. It had two committee hearings to go through and uh, it, it, uh, it got stopped. Now I'm, I'm, uh, now I'm getting all mixed up here with where I need to go. Hawaii? I'm going to go to what I got on my list. Yep, Hawaii. Uh, so Hawaii, uh, if you are in Hawaii, um, the HB 1570 has moved to the governor's desk uh, and there, our call to action has turned into a veto campaign. So uh, if you live in Hawaii, please take action. Urge the governor to veto HB 1570. Uh, I believe this is is I'm getting all I'm getting everything mixed up again, and this is a light <laughs> year, so I'm totally screwed next year. Um, but uh, this is a 45 percent sales tax. Is that is that what happened here? Which one are we on now? We're on Hawaii. No, Hawaii? this is a flavor ban. This is flavor ban. Yeah, the flavor tax ban. is Alaska. This is a flavor ban. It does have an exemption for PMTA products, but we all know that that's not going so great. Uh, and, uh, uh, honestly, people need access to flavored products. So, um, send your message to the governor, urge, urge him to veto, uh, HB 1570. Uh, and I think, uh, I don't know when Hawaii's legislative session ends, uh, but it'd be really great to get a lot of action on this over the coming weeks. Um, so thank you everybody in Hawaii who's already participated in, in our calls to action on this issue. Uh, next is going to be the Alaska bill, which is a tax. Uh, and I'm getting them confused because they're not in the contiguous 48 and they're down at the bottom of the map. I'm going <laughs> with that. Um, so uh, Alaska, uh, once again, SB 45, I believe, is a 45% wholesale tax on vapor products, uh, which includes liquids and devices. We haven't seen any any movement in this, as far as I know. Um, I think uh, we, we did. There was a few hearings that happened uh, at the end of April, beginning of May, um, and it is awaiting transmittal to the next committee. That's the that's the big update on this. Uh, the session ends on the 18th. I'm not quite sure how efficient Alaska legislature is at doing lightning round stuff. Um, so uh, it's it's still consider this to be kind of a volatile situation. Uh, you know, we got uh, come Monday, just a couple days left in session. I don't know if they meet on the weekends. Yeah, you got uh, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday left in Alaska's session. Uh, so things can happen quickly. Uh, definitely get on the horn, get on the emails, let your lawmakers know that this is a bad bill and that they should oppose it. And with that, we will conclude the legislative rundown. Wow. That was quick. <laughs> All right. And so, we had a good news. I mean, two good news things. I mean, that, that shows you guys that we can, I mean, between Connecticut and, and Colorado, th this is not impossible. This is why we did. I mean, people told us to, why are you still fighting like three years ago? You know, I mean, the longer we stick with it, the more people start vaping, the more they get involved you just never know what's going to happen. You just can't assume it. I mean, we've been at the end of the world for vaping how many times now? I mean, yeah. heck, when I got into this in 2010, it was the end of the world because FDA was grabbing stuff at customs and, you know. It's, uh... Persistence beats resistance. So uh, everybody persist and, uh, and, and we, can, we can get some 
get some action on this. And uh, so uh, with that, I think we can end it here. I am going to screw up the outro. I'm sure of it. But I do know all the places you can go check out CASA stuff. Of course, CASA.org, C-A-S-S-C-A-S-A-A.org. Man, I've been doing that. Down there in the little thing here. Yeah, it's down in the, <laughs> down in the uh, thing, but for those listening at home without access to a screen, casaa.org for all the information that uh, that we put up on our website. And don't forget to check out our store. Uh, as I was uh, sort of serious, but also a little jokey, um, we have T-shirts. We have great T-shirts. Danielle has designed a lot of uh, spectacular shirts that will make you stylish in any situation. Um, if you if you need to to wear something to an anti-tobacco rally, absolutely buy one of our T-shirts. Um, and uh, you can also catch us on the Twitters and Facebook and Instagram, Casa Media, <laughs> at Casa Media. Join your state groups on Facebook. It's a great place to share information, get heads up from other people in your state about local issues, state issues, and of course, Casa's National Calls to Action. Um, what else am I forgetting here? That we're on next week and then I do all the time things? We should be on next week. Um, we are tentatively back tentative. here next week. Yeah. 4.30 Eastern, 1.30 Pacific. Everybody in between, you got to do your own math. Apparently it's 8.30 Greenwich time. Greenwich mean time. <laughs> yeah. yep. 8.30 Greenwich mean time. Is that is that right? It's only four yeah, hours? 8.30 p.m. That's what okay. it says. Well, according to the web, the, the interwebs. <laughs> According to the, and you can always check out worldtimebuddy.com to figure out uh, what time this is on in your country, wherever you are in the world. Uh, we appreciate all of you listening in, everybody coming here every week and showing your support. And we appreciate the thank yous. Thank you for the thank yous. Um, <laughs> and uh, so, we'll take yeah. your donations. And if you haven't joined yet, what's wrong with you? <laughs> yeah. If you haven't joined, I don't yet, do it as well as Logan does. <laughs> stop what you're doing. Stop what you're doing. Go to Kassad.org. Hit the join button. It's absolutely free. We don't send a lot of spammy email. No, uh, any although, spammy. No although, spammy. Although apparently we we need to promote this podcast more. So Kassad members, be on the lookout for an email hyping up this podcast and the other things that we've been doing uh, to help get the word out there. Um, and of course, give us the like and subscribe uh, on YouTube. It does all the wonderful things for the algorithm. Uh, and, uh, and, and tell your friends, get them to like, and subscribe too, um, and hit that notification bell. Where's that graphic? We got a graphic for that. Oh, I People... forgot about that. I did. I, I got so into the, um, conversation this, uh, wait, where is it? This one right here. <laughs> the visual learners out there like myself, there's the graphic about how to like, and subscribe. Uh, and, uh, I think, did I cover all the bases? I definitely did the store. Yep. Did I do all the things? Everything I can think of. (laughs) With that, I guess it's a bye and thank you. Yeah. Be good to each other, buddy. Bye.